Over the last couple of weeks, I've talked to you about this idea of compañeri, the idea of compagno, the idea uh, of breaking bread. When we see this in uh, the Lord's Supper, in Jesus taking bread, blessed it, and then he broke it. That's the idea of compagno. And that is that breaking of bread, coming together with Jesus at a, a common meal that changed the lives of so many people. Two weeks ago, I talked to you about a wee little man named Zacchaeus, right? You forgot already? Okay, Zacchaeus, right? He was a tax collector. His life was changed by having lunch with Jesus. He went ahead and sold many of his possessions to the poor, and then he provide, provided restitution for those that he had ripped off amongst the poor and amongst his own people. And it probably was a lot of people. Now, something interesting happens from there. Now, Jesus will turn from Jericho and take a 16-mile journey to Jerusalem. He will ask a couple of his disciples to go, and as uh, Laurel has said from the Gospel of Mark, is now going to uh, get a donkey, a foal of a donkey that has never been ridden, in order to bring it to the master. We'll see later in the, in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, why are you doing that? Well, the master needs it. And with the assurance that I'll be returned, the donkey goes, and they place their garments upon it. First of all, let me, just as an aside, have you ever ridden a donkey that's never been ridden before? <laughs> now, doesn't that in your mind's eye is like, what? And by the way, have you ever got a donkey to go where you want it to? It's, it's incredible, you know? But Jesus is Lord of lords and of creatures great and small, so even his tender mercies, he can ride on a donkey that's never been ridden before. Would you agree? And so what happens is, and why the donkey, by the way? Well, you know, the Romans and the Greeks, they rode white stallions. The generals all did that. It was a sign of victory and going into battle and returning victorious. Yeah, they were, they just, all the, uh, they were resplendent in all sorts of finery on their white stallions and all that kind of stuff. But what's the thing about the donkey? Well, we see way back in Genesis chapter 49, you know, Jacob is, you know, there's blessing, right? And he blesses the whole tribe, all 12 tribes. And in the tribe of Issachar, there's a mention of a donkey. That a donkey, there'd be some royalty coming out of that donkey, so to speak. And then we see that David retreats from the city of Jerusalem on a donkey. Solomon, after being newly um, anointed as king, comes into Jerusalem on a donkey. And we saw, and man, that was a great reading from Zechariah. Zechariah 9, 9 through 10 says that the king will come riding on a donkey. Cool. So what's Jesus doing? Well, he's announcing to everyone using this object lesson that he's the king. He's the one that everyone's waited for. The long-awaited Messiah. How did the people respond? Well, they waved their palm branches, right? Sign of royalty. But also, in Mark's gospel in particular, he mentions the cutting of these, uh, uh, what are they, uh, fleshly branches, right? They're full branches and the like. So as you go from the Kidron Valley, from the Mount of Olives, you go down into the Kidron Valley to the Garden of Gethsemane, take a left turn, and you go up into through the beautiful gate. And along the way, guess what there are? There are olive branches olive branches that are there, and you can just imagine the people breaking them off or cutting them off and waving them as well. And those olive branches are a sign of peace. 
signs of royalty, signs of peace. Signs of royalty, signs of peace, and they're all waving them. They're placing their garments on the ground as a sign of respect so that this donkey, this royal animal, which is what the, um, uh, the Israelites believed, the people during Jesus' time believed, that so that the donkey would never step on solid ground. Their garments were placed there, welcoming. They were shouting what? Hoshana! Hoshana! Which means save us! Save us! And the question is, save us from what? Well, I think 93 years of tyranny from the Romans is probably a good thing, right? You see, the people, they wanted a king that would release them from the bondage and the heavy taxation of Rome. That was their idea of a king. The Alleluia. Alleluia. Was a cry out of praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now he is the one that will come and restore Israel to its finest, to its former glory, the return of its religious glory and the like. It's curious, though, that even on Palm Sunday, we see what happens as Jesus goes down riding this donkey, and he gets down probably to the middle of the Kidron Valley or on his way from the Mount of Olives, and he comes to a point where only the other time that he weeps is here. The first time is at the death of his friend Lazarus. He weeps over the city of Jerusalem. And he's basically saying, you know, you don't really understand the nature of peace, that it's not based upon an earthly king. It's not about the cessation of war or violence that brings the peace that I do, says Jesus. But as a result, he weeps over the city. And, they go, and he goes into the city to all of the tumult and all of the, all of the, all of the, the plaudits. And the crowd doesn't quite understand that he's there for a different reason. That his beginning of his journey, his journey of victory, is going to take him to a cross. And he weeps over a city that really doesn't quite understand the nature of God's peace or God's salvation or God as a king. And you see, the people are kind of fickle because in five days, everything would really change, wouldn't it? We see how the people change even after the feeding of the 5,000. Remember that? The compagnieri of Jesus breaking bread and then it is distributed among 5,000 men, more, women and children, perhaps. And from then on, the crowd, they wanted a king. They wanted a burger king. They wanted a king that would provide them all that they needed to sustain them, to fill their bellies and quench their appetite. But Jesus is much more than that, much more of that indeed. So this morning I ask you, what kind of king is he to you? Is he someone who provides all of your temporal needs? Is he one that just satisfies your appetite? Is he one that's going to restore something? Or is he your king, your Lord, and your Savior? Is he already entered triumphantly into your life, but do you know the reason why he's done that? And then there's Monday after the Sunday. 
You see, the crowd is even turning then. We see some indication of that. It seems that crowds are, uh, they're very fickle. Uh, a crowd that is disappointed by things that Jesus has said or he's not what they think, and it turns to resentment and bitterness. It turns to anger. It turns to violence to the point where even when he's standing before Pilate, they decry, we have no king but Caesar. A Monday that finds the cursing of a fig tree and the debate with Pharisees who bring him a denarii with the emperor's symbol on it on the front and then something on the back telling about the, the victories of Caesar and the Pharisees ask him the question, who should we, should we give this to Caesar, or what's your idea on taxation? And Jesus turns, it around, the, turns the trap into a teaching. Give Caesar what is his. Give him that coin. But then he says, give God what he is due. And that's the teaching the day after Palm Sunday. It's a teaching about the thing that God deserves is us, that God desires is us, that God wants is all of us. Let Caesar keep what is his, but God desires all of us. It seems strange that in the Passion story, especially in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is very silent. In order, this is to fulfill prophecy and the like, I understand that. But in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is very silent, but instead, he focuses on all the things that happen that are done to him by people, words that are said, actions that are taken, things that are not done. We see him pray in the Garden of Gethsemane, the olive-pressing place, we see him stand up and walk right directly in front of the disciples in order to shield them. And we see Jesus standing there. And we see Jesus feel the lips of Judas upon his cheek. This is the man that you need to take away. Temping off the temple police. The Romans that were there. They bound him and they took him up to Annas' house to stand before Caiaphas in a legal Sanhedrin. Jesus does not say anything that is wrong to the high priest, but still a guard takes it on himself to smack and slap Jesus across the face. Do not disrespect the high priest. He's left in a thermos bottle, 18, uh, 24 feet down, 18 foot, 18 foot diameter circle, the only capital prisoner. And there you can hear, almost hear Jesus recite the 88th Psalm. He's taken out of there. He goes down to Pontius Pilate. He was confused. I see nothing wrong with this man. He is flogged. He is spit on. He is smote. He feels the lictor's whip. And still he remains silent. A lamb before the shearer. Back and forth, the relationship between Pilate and Herod increases now. Whipped nearly to the time of his life, he's taken the Antonio Fortress, and they play the king's game on him. Jesus is beaten so badly that even his own mother Mary wouldn't recognize him. 
That was the rule of the game, the only rule. A robe was placed upon him. A reed of, uh, a scepter of reeds was given him. And it, was, it drove home the crown of thorns upon his head. Taken. Is this the man? I give you the opportunity, says Pilate, to release anyone you want. Barabbas, this thief. Barabbas, the son of the father, the son of the thief. Or Barabbas, the son of the father. Which one will you release? They release the thief. He washes his hands, does Pilate, and places the guilt upon the people. All of this done to Jesus. Bears his cross down the most circuitous route on the way to the cross, the quarry where the same blocks were, were mined and hewn to form the temple. And he bears that cross, and all someone had to do was to stand in front of that cross and say, this is an innocent man, and there would be a new trial, according to rabbinic law. Did anyone step forward? No. No. Stake between two thieves now, between heaven and earth, from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m., hanging between heaven and earth, crying out those seven last words, teaching moments from the Psalms and Scripture, his last will and testament. But my question for you here is who put him there? Who put Jesus on the cross? The answer is we did. But I'm pleased to tell you that's not the end of the story. Come back next week and I'll tell you the greatest news that's ever been told. He is not here. He is risen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.